uh, just as a reminder, right? Our Sunday School series has really been intended, the intent of our Sunday School time has been to help us consider how our old theology finds fresh applications in current times. That is to say how the timeless truths of Scripture inform every aspect of life. We've covered thus far how God's sovereignty bears implication for how we think about the government, how we think about trials, how we think about finances. Pastor Aaron's taught on what it means to be a pilgrim, passing through pilgrim theology, suffering for Christ. And then the last couple of weeks we've spent on the subject of wokeness, and thank you to Dr. Owen Strain and Pastor Rick for really the helpful conversation last week as they talked back and forth, just clarifying some of those matters for us. And so we're kind of returning back to the regularly scheduled programming, so to speak. And uh, we're continuing the practical theology, the snapshots of taking really what we say are, are just the plain truths of Scripture, a snapshot of those, and then thinking through some implications, applications to how we live. How does the Bible tell us to think? How does what the Bible says shape our thinking on particular issues? And just as a reminder, right, none of these are comprehensive lessons. They're just snapshots. So God's sovereignty, and we blitzed through a couple years worth of theology in five minutes, and then we say, how does that then cause us to think about a particular subject? So the focus here is on the so what or the therefore of the Bible's teaching. And today we're going to turn our attention to the subject of digital media. And in particular, we're going to consider how our understanding of the spirit-controlled life should shape our perspective towards and our engagement with digital media. And we're going to do this in two weeks. So this will be part one. And today we're going to simply consider how the Bible's teaching about the spirit-filled life should govern our consumption of and our communication through digital media. And then next week, we're going to turn our attention toward just simply thinking critically about technology and digital media in the days in which we live. So today, the focus is simply to look at Scripture, see what it says about the fact that as believers, we are called to live spirit-controlled lives, and therefore, that implicates all of life, which means it includes what we tweet and what we post and what we read and what we share and everything in between. And then next week, we'll just take maybe a critical look at how do we even think about engagement with these tools? Is there a distinctly Christian perspective? Maybe there's not. There's just general wisdom that we need to be. Just address some of those questions. Should I, should I not use these tools? That type of thing next week. This week, we are concerned with how does the doctrine of spirit-controlled life affect your and my consumption of media and our engagement with our communication through those media outlets. Digital media is now embedded in the fabric of our lives, right? Even if you don't use Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or any lesser-known platforms, you're aware of them. It was funny when I was making that list. I was like, remember MySpace? I mean, that was a thing, right? Like, like but anyway, we, we, don't use, we don't use them maybe, but we're aware of them. They're everywhere, okay? Um, presidential tweets were a big thing, right? I mean, like 80 million people receiving, what is it, 140 characters, and then maybe if you're good, they give you a little bit more. 
and out like that. I mean, what a reach, what, what mass reach of communication. It's everywhere. And beyond, beyond social media, we, we use and have at our access a vast amount of digital media. We have podcasts, blogs, news websites, daily newsletters sent to our email inboxes, and these surround us every day. Because of this ubiquity, they're just a part of life, like cars, gas stations, we, we, we have not taken an intentional approach. If you have, praise God. But many of us have probably just simply adopted the technology and the uses of it and how it's used inside because it's just everywhere. It's just normal. It's just a part of life. Um, it's, it's just an intuitive part of our existence now. So we've maybe not thought intentionally about how to use them, which we want to focus on next week. Instead, we just kind of go along and we've been trained by the mediums, whether we acknowledge that or not. So we think of it like driving a car, going to the grocery store. It's just something you do in 2021. But if Scripture teaches us that everything, in all caps, everything we do matters to our Lord, then we have no choice but to be intentional about our perspective toward and our engagement with digital media in all forms. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That includes every character in a tweet and every emoji. Okay? Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. The Lord Jesus' name is to be attached to your every interaction, digital or otherwise. That's profound and terrifying. Right? All that we do is to be brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we can't claim, as our mission statement says, to value Jesus Christ in every dimension of life as regulated by the word of God if we give special quarter to digital media, sort of shielding our habits and patterns from the light of God's word. Now the main point, this is an important caveat here, or an important, an important aside, an important note. The main point of this lesson is not whether or not you should use social media. Let me just say that right off the bat. That may be an implication or a takeaway that you individually need to wrestle with, but that's definitely not the main point. Our goal as shepherds of this flock is not to encourage like technophobia or uh, Luddism. You know, the, have you heard of the Luddites, right? The early 1800s, bands of English workers, they destroyed machinery in cotton and woolen mills simply because it was new technology threatening their jobs. And so being a Luddite or a neo-Luddite is often thrown out at people who, who oppose all forms of new technology. And so we're, the point here isn't to sort of have some sort of quasi-biblically informed Luddite band at Mission Road. Okay, that's not the point. Right? So there's nothing inherently good or bad about social media. There's nothing inherently good about not being on social media. You can be unplugged completely and be ungodly. That doesn't shock anybody, but it's good that we remind ourselves of that. You can also be plugged in and glorifying Christ with your every digital interaction. There's no automatic moral high ground for those who don't use Twitter, Facebook, or the internet to get their news, all right? It's easy to fall into that trap. I've fallen into that trap before, right? It's like the guy who's like, oh, you get digital newsletters, I get a print copy of the Wall Street Journal, so anyway. Like, 
that's not the point, right? If you're off Twitter, you're not automatically better than somebody who's on Twitter, okay? And we just need to make that clear. And I say that because I'm, I don't tweet and I don't have a Facebook account. My wife does. I'm not throwing stones, in other words, okay? We all have to think about this together. And just because I don't tweet or I don't have a Facebook account does not make me, I'm not saying any inherently better than those of you who, who were tweeting on your way in here, okay? So that's just let that be said as a foundational point for our lesson. And next week, Lord willing, we'll look at some critical thought that we need to put into these things. Have we thought about how they take our time? Have we thought about how they're changing our understanding of relationships? Have, have we fallen prey to some of the patterns that these things contribute to? Tribalism and virtue signaling and things like this. And we want to talk about that. But today, let me just start by saying this. The biggest problem with digital media is you and me. It's us. Sinners use digital media platforms. Therefore, they're used for sin. I presume that many of you at least once have been troubled by something communicated by another Christian via social media. And I would just say, I've, I'm shocked, and I shouldn't be because of what I just said, that the biggest problem with social media, with digital media and all of its forms is us. We're sinners. But I'm still, I find myself shocked at how easy it is for Christians to sort of ignore the commands of Scripture when it comes to our online presence. I feel a bit like I could open up the Bible right now, read Galatians 5, which we're going to do in a little bit on the fruit of the Spirit, okay? Read some verses from Ephesians 4, close the Bible, close in prayer, and we would all go be convicted, okay? Now, we're not going to do that, but we're going to do just a bit more. Not much more than that, frankly. Today, the issue before us is the non-negotiable character that every Christian must bring with them into thinking about digital media, how you consume, how you communicate through what your perspective is in general, how you think about them. So that, that's really what we're after this morning. And we want to do that by looking at a short theology of the spirit-controlled life and then thinking through plainly the very, what I think you all say are obvious implications of the teaching that scripture gives us of the spirit-controlled life to how we should think about consuming and communicating through digital media forms. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be filled with the Spirit. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. In contrast, be filled or be controlled by the Spirit. I've given you a handout, a rough definition of being Spirit-controlled. So we're looking at these building blocks in a short definition or a short theology of the Spirit-controlled life. We start with the definition of Spirit-controlled. It's simply the manifestation of the Spirit's presence in the Christian, enabling a lifestyle that's worthy of the Lord. A Christian that is full of the Spirit is a Christian characterized by the Spirit, marked by growth in spiritual maturity. To be controlled by the Spirit means that you are walking in accordance with what the Spirit desires, that your life demonstrates spiritual fruit. Andreas Kostenberger says, the one who is filled with the Spirit or the community that is so filled, that is because of the church is indwelt by the Spirit, exhibits an increasingly wise lifestyle, including grateful worship and God-honoring relationships. So being filled or controlled by the Spirit 
is to live an increasingly wise life, to excel more and more in pleasing of the Lord, to walk in step with him, to heed his commands, to essentially live as God in Christ wants us to live. That's what it means to be spirit-controlled. Now we look at the necessity of spirit-controlled living. The necessity of spirit-controlled living. Go ahead and open to Galatians chapter 5. And as we think about spirit-controlled living, being spirit-controlled, there are, there are two aspects to this. There's the positional aspect, that is, what is true of you simply by being in Christ, by being saved, by being a child of God. And then there's the practical side of this. Because of that reality, how then are you to live? So the necessity of spirit-controlled living. So we're commanded to be spirit-controlled in Ephesians 5.18, spirit-filled. We fill out from other portions of Scripture this notion that it is necessary for Christians to be controlled by the Spirit. Number one, it's necessary by their very identity, their position. Believers live by and are led by the indwelling Spirit of God. Galatians 5 18, you're led by, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. That is, in the flow of Paul's long argument from Galatians 5, this, the life which the Spirit of God gives to the Christian separates them from the notion of being under the law for righteousness in terms of positionally, for their justification, for their being made right before God. Christ has set that aside and being in and led by the Spirit of God now, having new life, means that you're no longer obligated to the law in the same way as you were before. The law is not the tool that it was for those apart from the Spirit. Verse 25 of Galatians 5, if we live by the Spirit, the implication is all Christians live by the Spirit. Right? Romans 8, which you can go look at these verses, tell you, if you're in Christ, you have the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not in Christ. Right? It's not you're in Christ and then later you have sort of this second special time or blessing in your life where you're filled up. That's, that's not the, the Bible's teaching. If you're in Christ, you have the Spirit of God. Right? The command then for those who have the Spirit of God is to be controlled by the Spirit of God and that's where we get into the practical realities. But pos- positionally, it, it, we, we are taught by Scripture. And again, you can look at Romans 8 verses on your own for the sake of time. But in Galatians 5... You are led by the Spirit as a believer, definitionally. And you, are, you live by the Spirit. You were brought to faith by the Spirit, and you are completed in your faith by the Spirit of God. You look in Galatians 3, and then Galatians 5, 18 and 25, says that we are led by the Spirit, we live by the Spirit. As a result of that, again, positionally, Galatians 5, 24, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So believers, if you're in Christ, you, are, you live by and are led by the Spirit and you've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What does that mean? That means that the flesh no longer holds sway. It no longer rules and reigns unopposed in your life. 
your sinful desires don't reign apart from opposition from the Spirit of God. You've been given a new heart that has inclinations toward Christ, toward God, toward righteousness, right? Prior to that, right, you're, you're a slave to sin, Romans 6. You're dead in your trespasses and sins, but because you have the Spirit, the, the sinful flesh has been crucified in terms of its sway, its power, its reign in your life. And so those are positional realities. Those are true of any Christian. Now, because of that, the Bible teaches us that we're to live a certain way. So it says, this is true of you, therefore, live this way. So since believers are live by and are led by the indwelling of the Spirit of God, they're to be characterized by the Spirit of God. That's why Romans 8 says, talks about living according to the Spirit versus according to the flesh. And back here in Galatians 5, 16, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. The second part of verse 25, Galatians 5, right? I said, if we live by the Spirit, positional, let us also walk by the Spirit. That's the practical. That's the everyday. Now, why are those commands there? Well, because we still wrestle with sin. You all know that experientially, right? The teaching of Scripture often, the, this paradox is, be what you already are, right? You've already been made righteous in Christ. You're justified. None of your works contribute to that whatsoever. Because of that, be righteous, right? You have the Spirit of God. He is in you. You live by the Spirit. You've crucified the flesh. It's been crucified. So don't live according to the flesh. Be what you already are. Continue in what God has done for you. And there, admittedly, that can be somewhat challenging for us, but that's the plain teaching of Scripture. So Paul says in Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit, that is, live in accordance with the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit, be controlled by the Spirit of God. It's a command of believers. So, our flesh still influences us, right? It's not, our flesh is, is you, and it's me. All right, let me just be clear about that. Sometimes we hear this teaching and we think there's like a black dog and a white dog inside and they're arguing, a bad guy and a good guy, right? The little mini angels or whatever that sit on the shoulder in the cartoons of uh, Looney Tunes, right? That are telling us, well, it's you. Your flesh is you, okay? But we battle that flesh because we have a new Godward nature, so we battle our sinful desires. Our flesh still influences us. We still desire to sin. This is a real struggle. This is a life and death struggle according to Galatians 5.17. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. So we still wrestle with the flesh. And we all know this experientially because we battle with sin, Right? We also know experientially that we have Godward inclinations now. We don't, we don't have to sin like we need to. We're not slaves to sin. We've been enabled to pursue righteousness by the Spirit. He goes on to say that the deeds of the flesh are evident. Right? They're there. You don't need to be convinced of these. You see them. Fleshly living is obvious. That's what he's saying. Verse 19, 519. He goes on, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. 
of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, and then this is a profound and sobering statement, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The deeds of the flesh are evident, and if you walk by the flesh, that is the habitual pattern of your life is dominated by the deeds of the flesh. Paul says you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But he said earlier already, right? 5.16. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now, again, this is not talking about perfection. But if the unhindered path of your life is just dominated by fleshliness, then you have cause to question whether or not you're in Christ. That's one implication of what he's saying. But we're encouraged that if we walk by the Spirit, we will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And then he goes on, the fruit of the Spirit. And he lists the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, then let us walk by the Spirit. Victory in this battle is obtained by yielding to the Spirit of God. Saying, not my will but yours be done. Right? Crucifying the flesh with its passions. Putting to death the deeds of the flesh that want to have sway, knowing that they don't have sway anymore. We're no longer slaves to sin. So positionally, we have the Spirit. Practically, we're called to walk by the Spirit. Now the patterns of Spirit-controlled living, we just read them. What are the patterns of Spirit-controlled living? Well, we, you walk by the Spirit of God. Look at Galatians 5.13. You were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. So you're not under the law. Right? You're free from that. But that doesn't mean that you're just to allow, just run after sin, give opportunity to sinful fleshly desires. Instead, through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. <clears throat> in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Excuse me. <clears throat> but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And then we see the fruit of the Spirit. So that's the pattern of Spirit-filled living. Look quickly at uh, Ephesians 5.19. What's the pattern of Spirit-controlled living? 5.18 says, and do not get drunk with wine for that anticipation, but be filled with the Spirit. What does that look like? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving, thank, giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So that's what this looks like. That's what spirit-controlled living looks like. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read it, but I've given you a helpful just summary quote from Dr. Tom Schreiner's com commentary on... Paul's letter to the Galatians. What he says there is simply that, what we've said, that because of the position that we have in the Spirit, the Spirit also empowers us to please him in everything that we do. And that it's, it's not easy. We don't just float, <laughs> sort of let the Spirit do things. We're called to engage, to give themselves daily to the Spirit so that he can work powerfully in us, bringing about the fruit that he says he wants. Okay? All right, so now that we've covered a complete theology of 
spirit-filling and spirit-controlled living. Let's think of two categories of spirit-controlled engagement with digital media. Remember, one implication of what we just read uh, about our theology of the Spirit is that yielding to the flesh or yielding to the Spirit are evident. Those things are obvious. So the deeds of the flesh are evident, and the fruit of the Spirit are evident. The fruits of the Spirit are evident. So we just stop right there and think about our engagements with digital media. Right? Deeds of the flesh are evident. The characteristics of your engagement with those forms of media should be evident. Whether they're spiritually fruitful and showing the character that is Christ-like or whether they're showing themselves to be fleshly. It's simple and convicting. We have to ask the question, do the patterns of our lives in this realm correspond to those descriptions of spirit-controlled living that we have in Galatians 5, we have in Ephesians 5, that, we, that we'll see in Philippians 4? That's the question before us. Everything you read, what you like to consume, what you want to fill your ears with, what you want to tweet, what you want to say, what you want to share, what you want to like, what you want to share about your own life, what you want to see other people sharing in their, in their lives, all of that. Does that correspond to these descriptions of spirit-controlled living? Does it look more like the deeds of the flesh or does it look more like the fruit of the spirit? That's the question. Like I said, we just close in prayer, right? Let's go home, let's read Galatians 5 and let's close in prayer. Let's think, I'm going to apply this to digital media. Okay, Lord, help me. Right, but it's, it's not challenging to understand. It's challenging to do. So two categories that I want you to think about. The first one is spiritual controlled consumption of digital media. What you consume. It's easy to throw rocks at the folks that are communicating through digital media and say, that was fleshly speech, that was fleshly speech, that was a fleshly picture, that was a fleshly like. Okay? But what about those of us who maybe aren't actively posting all the time, but we're very active in consuming social media and digital media and news, the whole bit. So let's start there. Spirit-controlled consumption of digital media. Right? We just read the fruit of the Spirit, and so keep that in mind. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is anything, any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Consumption is presumably the broader, the broader category here of these two categories. And Philippians 4.8 tells us 
that our minds are to be set on things that please the Lord. And he gives us these wonderful descriptions of what they are. Truth, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute, excellence, worthy of praise. And those are the things that we're to dwell on. And yet it's very easy, especially in our digital age, to choose to dwell on things that could not be further separated from this list. Okay? We choose things, to use Galatians 5, that don't cultivate the fruit of the Spirit, but instead themselves demonstrate the deeds of the flesh. And yet we're choosing for some reason to consume them sort of as if we don't have a choice. But I would say that spirit-controlled consumption means filtering and making decisions about what we're putting in front of ourselves daily that affect our thoughts, our emotions, our attitudes, that we need to test those things by the scriptures and ask, are these things conducive to a spirit-filled life? Are these things the things that will further my walk after Christ? Are they true? Are they honorable? Are they right, pure, lovely? of good repute, excellent, worthy of praise. Furthermore, are they in accordance with apostolic instruction? That's what Paul says in verse 9 of Philippians 4. saying we're to practice the things that he has taught and lived out in his own behavior. And so to apply this to the consumption question, we simply ask, does what we're consuming demonstrate righteous traits or fleshly ones? Does what we're consuming on a regular basis encourage our own righteous fruit or fleshly deeds? And look, this is somewhat embarrassing to admit because I've been in this position, right? But how many of you have been agitated or upset by someone you follow on Twitter or Facebook? I mean, you, you're hot about something that you've read, right? And you're stirred up. And you, can you believe that this person said this? And I can't believe that this is so misguided or... I can't believe that they like Taco Bell better than whatever. Like, just silly things, but also serious things, right? And again, this is embarrassing, but did you know that you don't have to read it? Like, you're choosing to consume those things. I have been stirred up in my spirit, agitated, moved to anxiety, not to peace, Right? Move to think on things that are not in the list of Philippians 4.8. Right? Being stupid because I'm consuming them as if I have to. Which again, it's, I told you there was nothing profound this morning. Right? This applies itself. The point though is you don't have to read that stuff. You don't have to follow the person that's upsetting you. <laughs> right? You don't have to be friends with somebody that you would never be friends with because they're saying sinful things. Like, it gets silly. But the point is, are you thinking about what you're consuming with biblical categories? That's the serious question. And that question isn't simply about others. Like, Ooh, does, that, does that person meet my godliness standard? Are you consuming things that encourage the spiritual controlled attitudes and fruit that Scripture says ought to be in your life and heart? Now, I know we can come up with categories. Well, that means I'll never, ever read another news article. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. We can talk more about that next week. But we have to consider if we're 
asking the questions biblically about what we're consuming in a digital age. I've given you several proverbs there with three or four word explanations. I encourage you to go and study those on your own and ask yourself questions about what we're consuming, what you're consuming. We're not going to go through all those this morning. You could find more. You find probably find more proverbs that apply. But are you willing to yield yourself to the Bible's teaching and simply say, look, spirit-controlled people want to consume what the spirit approves. And that clearly has implications for what we choose to read, who we choose to follow, what we choose to traffic in, what we allow to be before our eyes and minds on a regular basis. Now, the second aspect of this, then, is spirit-controlled communication through digital media. Spirit-controlled communication through digital media. And again, it's the same, it's the same verses. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Let's look at Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. That's convicting. That's convicting about our speech, how we talk to one another. And just in case we were to try to wiggle out of this, this applies to things that you punch in with your thumbs too. Those are your words. Whether it's an email, whether it's typed, whether it's texted, whatever. God's word here says that no unwholesome word should proceed from our mouths, but only that which is good for edification to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. That may eliminate most of what we like to say and traffic in in digital media. Why do we ask ourselves those convicting questions about what Scripture says about our words? Because, again, all of life is under the Lordship of Christ. You cannot claim to be walking and growing in maturity in this area if your digital profile says something completely different. And we just need to be willing as brothers and sisters to call one another to account and submit those things to the scriptures. As a pastor, it is really challenging to have people come and say, hey, I'm really troubled by what so-and-so posted. Did you see that? Usually when I hear that, I go, like, like am I, what am I supposed to do? Because I didn't see it. And then you immediately get into the, the question, you know, generally what you're supposed to do, we'll talk about in a minute, is encourage that person to go back to that person and talk to them about it. But somehow we've sort of like parted off digital interactions from the church and from our ability to confront one another, to challenge one another in godliness. We think like that that's off limits. Let me just say right now at MRBC, that's not off limits. It's public for crying out loud. If you make a public post that is full of sin, you should expect and be thankful for a private rebuke. Okay? But that's two-sided. That takes a willingness to receive that correction, but it also takes a willingness to give it. And I'll be the first to admit, that's hard. 
I have not really had a lot of fun wanting to talk to people about something that they've put on Twitter. Okay? It's no fun. But it's necessary. All areas of, of our lives are to be yielded to Christ, and discipleship applies to all of those areas, and that includes our communication through digital media. So you read Ephesians 4, you read Galatians 5 and see what the fruit of the Spirit are. You read all these Proverbs that I've given you about words, which there are many, and they're wonderful, and you should read them. And he asks, would you tweet or post something that you would never say to somebody in person? Because of these scripture verses. You can't even imagine saying that to somebody, but digitally, you, you would. That, that's a question that needs to be asked and addressed. Would you share or post information that would not be allowed to be peddled in the church atrium? Right? That's worth asking. There's a whole host of questions we can ask, and I trust that if you read these scriptures and, and set your mind on these scriptures, you will come up with more questions for yourself. But our communication in these matters is critical, and we have to ask hard questions about how we're engaging in these platforms. So when I say digital media, just to clarify, so communication through, most of us aren't communicating through a news outlet. But if you do, if you're communicating through some sort of a blog or a podcast or whatever, you're accountable for every word. And you've just taken your words and, and given yourself a public platform and are saying more things that you're going to be more accountable for. That doesn't mean you shouldn't. It just means, are you asking the hard questions? You're accountable for your Twitter words. You're accountable for your Facebook words. All of those things. We're accountable to one another and ultimately to the Lord Jesus Christ for those things. And on the consumption side, that applies to the news articles that we get, the sites we frequent, those things. Are we regularly trafficking in things that are fostering fleshly attitudes? And fleshly attitudes may not be, you know, um, things that we often equate with immorality, but it could be anxiety, worry, things of that nature. Those are also fleshly concerns. So we just want to take those two categories and submit them to the scriptures in light of the truth about what it means to be spirit-controlled. And so there are kind of three just things to think through briefly at the end in conclusion. What do you do? What do we do? <laughs> Repent, redeem, or retire. Okay? Just to make obvious what we've been saying throughout, sin with your words through digital media is sin. Sinning with photographs on digital media is sin. Sinfully enjoying someone else's sinful posts is sin. It's not a separate category of life. right? It's a new category for us it's modern, it's brought new questions and challenges, but it's not new in the sense that Scripture doesn't address this. And we just said, sin through digital platforms is confrontable. Now, this doesn't mean that you're supposed to create a fake Twitter account called God's Warrior and go around and start looking for people to confront because you're, you, please don't do that. Okay, the point is, is that if you're engaged in these media avenues, and your brothers and sisters here in this room, in this church, you should realize that you have the responsibility to be confronted if you sin and also to go, as Galatians 6.1 says, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Which means, I don't care if it was on Twitter, I would say you should go to them personally, not through Twitter. Okay? 
And by the way, what's Galatians 6 say? Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Look, we need to be willing to go to one another and say, your social media presence is not honoring to Christ. It's provoking dissension, division. Or the information you're peddling is worldly wisdom. It doesn't accord with scripture and what we're being taught. Those types of things. And remember that we're going to give an account for our behavior with our words and actions in every avenue of life, and that includes these ones. Redeem. What's that? That's to say there is a category to redeem your usage of these tools. Right? And we'll talk about that last week. Again, the problem with the tools is you and me, not the tools themselves. Right? There are examples of people that use these tools greatly for the glory of God. Use the tools of digital media in a way that honors and magnifies God in his purpose. Consider that every click, every scroll, every like, dislike, retweet, etc., as done in the name of Christ. And if his name can't be ascribed to it, neither should yours. But you can do things that are Christ-honoring through digital media. People are doing them. We have to consider those things. They're tools. Right? We're not saying this about television because that ship has sailed. Or print books instead of the written letter because that ship has sailed. Right? Like, this is a new technology. It's a tool. We need to think critically about it. It can be redeemed, and you need to think about how you can do that. And then lastly, you may have a decision to make, and that's repent, redeem. You may need to retire from your usage of these media forms. And what I mean by that, look, if you can't walk in obedience, the choice is very clear. Very clear. If Twitter makes you stumble, deactivate your account and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose Twitter followers and then take them with you into hell. If Jesus Christ used our body parts to make the point, how much more should we be willing to use digital forms and tools? You could say the same thing about Facebook. Look, if it's causing us to stumble and we can't get a hold and we're not walking in righteousness and we're not demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit and instead our digital presence demonstrates the evident deeds of the flesh, we need to turn from it until we mature. You want to know why I'm not on Facebook? Because I'm not mature enough to be on Facebook. That's why. I would look and I would want to be liked and I would want to like things so that people like me back and I want to post things and then I want to see how many people looked at it to see if they noticed what I post. I can't handle it. I'm not mature enough. There are people that are doing good and godly things through those mediums, right? I'm not one of them. I've made a choice that I I can't walk that path because I think I would sin and I think I would regularly sin. So we need to be willing to make that hard decision. I'm not making light of the situation by inserting Twitter or Facebook into Matthew 5.29. It's sober, right? Those of us who can't get a grip on these things need to be willing to call sin, sin, and turn from those things for the sake of Christ, for the sake of our maturity. And we can help one another do that. We need to be willing to put our arm around one another and say, brother or sister, I'm not convinced that your interactions in this platform are helpful to this body and helpful to you, helpful to your family. Let's talk about that. Right? It's possible you've misread something. Ask. But be willing. Invite accountability. If you are a regular user of Facebook, a regular user of Instagram, a regular user of Twitter, a regular whatever, you find yourself being cultivating anxiety from the newsletters that you get from somebody or somebody shares with you news regularly that invites anxiety, be willing to reach out and invite accountability for how you interact with these things. 
ask someone around you, hey, help me think about this. Or I'm, I'm convicted that I'm not demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit in this avenue of my life. Help me. Help me bring accountability to what I'm posting and what I'm reading regularly. Invite that and, and yield to that.